What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, I got a quick one for you, and I'll let you go on your way. I just wanted to talk about um, a little conversation I was having with somebody at work, and I thought it was a cool topic to discuss on the podcast. So the topic was about training uh, in in misery, like basically uh, kind of like what endurance athletes appear to be doing. Um, I know I read David Goggins' book. And David, If you don't know who David Goggins is, I don't know how you don't know, but you, you can definitely look him up. He's very popular. Um, he's an endurance athlete, and in his book, he talks about how much he suffered through his training and um, everything else that he did, and then the competitions he did, and he um, he really uh, went all out, and it seemed like he was friggin' miserable, and he kind of says or admits that he was, and... Um, and it didn't click with me at the moment. It really didn't because I was thinking of his level, like was the level you've got to be at to to go through what he went through. But I, you know, I, I don't know why I thought that. Everybody's in their own place, right? Um, so I was talking to this guy at work about training, and um, what what came up was I was I I referred back to my days when I was into road riding. And, um, you know, I had a, I had a, a good chunk of time from 18 to 30, from 18 to 30, I was lifting weights and I worked out bodybuilding style with other people who bodybuild, uh, were jacked. Uh, we spot each other, do the whole thing. Right. And by the time I was in my late twenties, I was sitting at 200 pounds, uh, with less than 10% body fat really ripped and looking pretty big because I am about 5'11", 6 foot. Um, I have a light frame. And, you know, if you go to the natural bodybuilding website and you look up the um, parameters, if you will, of they'll, they'll look at a picture of a bodybuilder and say, okay, um, this guy's using steroids or or this guy's not, they'll, they'll be able to tell because they know your stats. So they know your height, right? And they know your frame size. And then they look at your picture. And if your picture looks crazy, like you're, you're really looking jacked and super lean, then they're going to, you know, do a steroid test on you. So that's like one of the ways that they catch people. Um, but if you look at what their uh, natural what the natural standards look like for a person my height and, and frame size, uh, it would be, I think it was the 190, is between 190 and 196, or, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more than 196. It was in that neighborhood, and, um, but this is super lean. Like, I've never been that lean. Um, less than 10%, yes, I know it was less than 10%, but, um, it was like close to 10%. And these guys are hitting the stage. And, on the, you know, again, we're talking natural. Uh, they're hitting the stage 8%, 7%, 6%. And they're, they're really jacked looking. So um, I, would, I would 
my perfect would be, you know, so let's, let's just say I was at 200 with less than 10% body fat. If I lost another five pounds, I probably would have been right in the pocket. Um, but I would have been undersized. I would have lost muscle mass along the way to cut down to 195. I would have lost a lot of muscle mass and I wouldn't have been able to compete. I'm just, uh, I'm just speculating and I'm being kind of like, well, I'm not being down on myself. I'm just being realistic. Um, I probably wouldn't have been able to compete. So I missed the mark probably. Um, I was probably five pounds too much fat and five pounds, not enough muscle, you know, but I was good. I was for a gym rat. Um, I did really well and I got to that point. And then when I turned 30, I just, I was always a mountain biker. Okay. I would always mountain bike and that was one way I was always managing to keep lean. But when I turned 30, I got into road riding because, um, I would go up to the country up in New York state beautiful country settings and I would just hop on a road bike and just get lost. I spent a lot of time by myself on those farm country roads, grinding up crazy ass hills in the middle of the summertime, heat beating down on me. And I'm talking grinding, standing up out of the saddle the whole way and just slow motion, pulling on the handlebars to get torque, pulling on the, uh, you know, like just really just like I was doing tiny little leg presses the whole way up. I'd get up to the top of the hill. I'd bomb down the other side. Then I'd break out on a flat for a while and go, you know, hardest gear I could, top gear, get, you know, get my breathing going. And the next thing I know, there's another climb and I'd be out like hours and hours. And actually what I would do is camp. I would camp in a tent and, um, and then I would go riding for like two or three days, pack everything up and go home. That's That was my, my thing. And I was doing that regularly. And just to let you know, my drive from New Jersey up to New York was about four hours. So I would drive four hours up into the country, ride, 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 sleep in a tent, sleep in a tent, ride home four hours. And I mean, I, then I'd go back to the firehouse and work and... I don't know where I had that energy. I don't have it now, but it was fantastic. And um, so I got sucked into this whole bike riding lifestyle. And, you know, I wasn't able to really train legs in the gym anymore because they were either super sore from the hard ride or I was keeping them fresh so I could get to my next ride. So the only weight training I would do would be upper body stuff. And I started to lose a lot of weight and size. But... I was so determined to be a good bike rider. Um, and I knew if you drop weight, you could climb hills better. And I, oh, and I was doing some racing too. Just, you know, getting my, my, uh, my feet wet with it and seeing how far I wanted to go with it. Uh, but anyway, that turned into a whole four year lifestyle for me going out on these long bike rides on the road, also still doing mountain biking and then the weights, and I was, I mean, I was never working so hard in my life um, as far as my fitness is concerned. And I remember, you know, so I'm having this conversation at work last night and I, it, it dawned on me. I remember being on all these climbs out in the middle of the country, grinding, pulling on the, on the handlebars, 
hot sweat just dripping in my eyes, salty, not never, never even having enough water to make yourself feel like you were hydrated. Um, and, and it hit me like I was miserable, you know, I was really friggin' miserable, but, um, I loved it. And it was like this interesting new level of, um, pain or suffering. It was almost like a righteousness. Like, like you are miserable right now. You asshole. Why are you out here riding? Oh, but it just feels good to be able to push myself to this limit, to this limit or whatever you want to call it. Um, and he, it just, it felt good to be miserable. And it, then it just dawned on me that that's like what David Goggins and all these, you know, professional endurance athletes must feel, you know, they're running 138 miles in the desert. And I don't care how good of a runner you are, how good a shape you're in 138 miles in a hot ass desert. And then it's, and then later on in the day, the sun's going down right now. You're running in a cold desert after you've been running in the hot desert and you're just running, 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 running. And, uh, you you know, your, your body is just slowly getting destroyed, right? Like muscle fibers are, are just ripping bones or getting little hairline fractures in them. It is, you're putting yourself on the edge of death basically. And then you kind of like just back off a little bit and you, you just skirt that edge for 138 miles. Um, you know, why, why do it? Why climb the mountain? Why go to the moon, you know, to do it? To, there's something about that kind of misery that is uh, very, it, re it reveals things about what's inside you, who you are. Um, you know, obviously, there's other types of misery that none of us want to feel. And unfortunately, we do have to feel those kind of miseries too. But if we train ourselves in these settings where we kind of like enjoy our misery. It also teaches us how to later handle other forms of misery. Um, because you, your, your head, you're, you're, you're able to get your head in that space, right? And you're able to feel the same feelings. So it's not, it's not alien feeling. It actually is, um, a comfortable feeling like, Oh, I kind of know what this feels like. I remember when I was doing my bike ride, and I was climbing up the hill and, and, and feeling like having these thoughts about, you know, you're almost having like an out-of-body experience, you know, in some of these situations. And um, so it's the, it's the actual appreciation of this misery that you put on yourself, you know. And, I, you know, this is something interesting to, for you to explore if, you're in, if you really want to. Because like, you know... There's religious people uh, that will do some type of thing, live in, you know, almost total misery, but for a greater cause and everything. And it's just funny how we all gravitate um, toward it somehow in our lives. I think that this need or this desire to, to dabble and wet our toes in, in misery is, is this universal kind of thing. Um, but how we go about doing it is, well, 
unique and there's a lot of different ways. Like I said, there's like monks who will live in misery. Um, then I gave you the example of endurance athletes. Um, but it could just be the guy or the girl who at 17, 18 years old decides, I'm just going to go join the Marines just to be miserable. And they just do it. And, you know, what spits out the other side after they get done with their with their boot camp and maybe, you know, four years in the service is that they come out the other side, this polished individual who has experienced misery and they've had to have that crazy talk inside their own head because there's nobody else around that they can talk to that would even understand, you know, even in like, even in, in the Marines, right? Like, um, I, I know guys, I know a lot of guys that were in the Marines and, you know, like there was like guys that went to the Middle East, they say, you know, you're just, the sand gets everywhere and you're out there for a couple of years and every day you eat something, there's sand in your food. And uh, could you imagine that every time you eat something and it, like it would be MREs, which, you know, those ready to eat meals, they're not like the best food right could you imagine every time you open up a package and you start eating you're always gonna just somehow sand the sand is in your hair and everything and you're just miserable but you listen to these guys talk about it um and they speak very like upbeat about it like they'll tell funny stories they'll they'll talk about how sick they were and they had diarrhea and they were puking and you know like they're laughing about it but at the time they thought they were going to die um you know it's just crazy stuff and then and then if you read david goggins book he talks about the same stuff he talks about shitting himself while <laughs> while he's running he talks about pissing blood um having um shit um hairline fractures in his in his shins and you're like what the hell what is what is wrong with people but we all have our you know, to, like that might sound extreme, the David Goggins thing, or maybe being a Marine out in the Middle East, that sounds extreme to to maybe a few of you. Um, it, it does to me. Um, I would never want to run 138 miles and or be out in the desert for two years eating sand. Um, but we all have our place where it's all relative, right? So your form of misery just might be, um, you know going on a very extra long hike, like a 12-mile hike um, up a really rough trail. That might be, you know, your thing. Um, or taking a steel mace and doing 10,000 swings in one day. Like, you're just there all day swinging. What a video thing to just, so no, everybody knows it was real. Um, you know, Whatever it is, or maybe your thing is uh, you're you're not going to eat for 24 hours and you love eating and, you know, it's the best thing in the world and and you choose not to eat and you're miserable for 24 hours. But you're like, you're loving it too. You know, you're loving the misery. It's an interesting thing. It's like one of those, um, it's almost like a dichotomy kind of thing. Like we, we are... We do like our comfort, you know, in modern day civilization, we provide as much comfort to ourselves as we possibly can. Um, 
I mean, geez, I, I, you still got to you still got to laugh at a microwave oven. I mean, literally, a, it what would have taken fifteen minutes to to heat up in an oven takes one or two minutes in a microwave oven, and you know that's supposed to like free up our our time and make life easier. You know, we notice that it just seems like our lives are more rushed and hurried anyway. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's better to just heat up the oven to 350 when it beeps, put the food in and then let it, uh, let it sit there for five or 10 minutes, you know, and I guess be a little miserable while you're waiting instead of having instant gratification. You know, in the end, maybe that slows you down, you know, maybe that makes you think differently about the world around you. Maybe it reveals uh, something about yourself that you really like, that you never realized. And then now that you know what it is, you can sort of like double down on it and do more of that. Maybe it makes you realize something you hate about yourself that you never realized. You know, maybe you just have this like all of a sudden this uh, epiphany that like, man, you know, I treat people bad all the time and or I'm rude to people or something like that or you know, a lot of people, they don't have any appreciation for other people's time. It happens It happens a lot. You know, you, you people just don't give a shit about your time. Um, and it's really bad. It's That's a bad thing. Uh, maybe that's something that, you know, you go out on a 25-mile bike ride. And in that time frame, you're going into a headwind and it's raining and there's traffic going by 50 miles an hour and you're just miserable and you just realize all of a sudden like, hey, I'm really rude about how I treat people's uh, time and and I don't appreciate other people's or respect other people's time. And when you realize that, that's a huge thing. So now you become more aware of that and you move on. Um, other things that it might do is it might make you focus more on your fitness a certain way, like you'll realize, geez, you know, my, my back really hurts from running so much. Um, what is that? And you, you look into it, maybe find out a way to train so that your back gets stronger, healthier, whatever. It, it could be anything, you know, um, it could be as simple as just, you notice when you run or when you ride the bike, your your knee is caving in. So you, you go to physical therapy to get get your hips stronger, you know. Um, but that's it. Uh, it was a, it was a conversation that I had with somebody yesterday, and it was it was pretty cool. Um, and I had that moment where I realized that you know we're all in in this game together. We might be on different levels, and I think it's fun to uh, explore stuff like that because it's it's healthier it's healthier to talk about stuff like this um, for people anyway because it, it's more of a self-improvement thing but <clears throat> it's not like an overgrandized uh, form of self-improvement where you know you could be a millionaire in, in 10 weeks if you just follow what I say you know none of that crap it's like hey Go out and be miserable for a little bit and see what that does for you. Try it out. And, you know, worst case scenario, you, you 
you're just going to come back and be like, I don't know, I was just really miserable for five hours and I never want to do it again. And I didn't learn anything about myself. Well, that's not such a bad thing. You're, you didn't lose money. All you did was lose some time, but you were doing some physical event in the process. So it's going to pay off a little bit. It's going to make you stronger and healthier, provided you recover properly. Um, just don't come back and pound a, uh, a bottle of vodka and eat donuts and then that's it. You know, do the right thing, recover properly, and you'll bounce back. Uh, that's it guys. Like I said, quick one. I didn't even want to go this far with it, but you know, it was, uh, interesting to, to, it was an interesting conversation that I had and I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, make sure you check out steelmacenation.com for, uh, shirts and hats like this snapback hat I'm wearing. Um, and also there's wor a workout program over there. It's called the 21 day steel mace challenge. And you don't need a steel mace to do it. You could actually do it body weight, kettlebell, whatever. Um, but besides the workout program, there's also stuff about diet in there. And there's stuff about uh, mindset. And it's just things I picked up along the way that um, I like to share with my clients one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but I put it all together into this 21-day steel, steel mace challenge which is 1999 and it's yours to keep forever and ever. You could do the workout over and over again. You could try it with a steel mace, with a kettlebell, with a body weight thing, whatever. Uh, have fun with it and just jam out. And um, make sure, if you can, subscribe to the newsletter over on SteelMaceNation.com. I haven't been doing it for a while, but I do plan on coming back with it. And uh, it's going to be good. So thanks a lot, guys. See you at the next one.